Hey, Murder in the Black, I'm your host, MD, and I'm here bringing you a Thanksgiving bonus episode. But before we get into this episode story, let me give you an update on the Shinquella Robinson story. So as Steph shared with you a few days ago, Shinquella was laid to rest last week. And while her parents were doing arguably the hardest thing they will ever do in life, authorities in Mexico and the Department of State have put in work in order to bring justice to this heinous crime. This is part and partial to the noise that you all are making on social media. So keep the noise coming. As of yesterday, Wednesday, November 24th, Mexican authorities have issued an arrest warrant for the direct aggressor in the events that occurred on October 29th. The authorities are following procedures to extradite the unnamed suspect and are pursuing charges of femicide. So you may be asking, what is femicide? And it is defined as the intentional killing of a woman because she is female. Now, there are some discrepancies between the death certificate and the police report. And so as a result of these these discrepancies, the FBI has now gotten involved. Now, I know that there are reports out that says the FBI has been involved and they've been investigating. And I even think that on our initial episode, we even said that. However, I, I it's been revealed from the Charlotte Observer that the FBI had, has not been involved um, up until this point um, because there was no reason for them to get involved. But as a result of these discrepancies in the reports, the FBI is now involved. So let's figure out what are these discrepancies. So let me quickly cover that for you. So the death certificate, which relies heavily on the autopsy report, states that she died within 15 minutes of being injured. Now, the Charlotte reporter has clarified that this is not 15 minutes of her actual injuries, so the injuries that they're saying killed her, but 15 minutes of when the medical examiner arrived on the scene. Okay, so that kind of helps like frame everything. Um, The death certificate also states that she died of a severe spinal cord injury and atlas luxation. And then on that death certificate where it states, it asks a question whether the death was accidental or violent, and the form just simply says, Yes. So that's very vague, unclear. What does that mean? And then finally, the death certificate states that, and this is the biggest discrepancy here. It states that Shanquilla died at 3 p.m. on October 29th. Now, if that was what was going, if that, if she truly died at 3 p.m. on October 29th and the police report corroborated that, then no big deal, right? Well, that's the problem. It, that's the, it is a big deal because the police report does not state that. So let's go into what the police report says. The, the police report states that Robinson was alive um, at the time that medical help arrived. Okay. Um, it states that 911 was called or that med- like that uh, medical help was called at 2.13 p.m. 
and that a doctor arrived on the scene. And at the time that the doctor arrived at the villa, that Shanquilla Robinson was still alive. Now, the police report leaves out any mention of her being injured or beaten or having bruises or injuries on her body. It doesn't say anything about that. Um, And it states that the doctor that arrived at the villa treated her for three hours before they pronounced her dead. At 4.49 p.m., the police report states that Shanquilla had no pulse. And they began to issue um, CPR and, you know, efforts to try to revive her. And then at 5.57 p.m., Shanquilla was pronounced dead. So 5.57 p.m. on the police report and 3 p.m. on the death certificate, there are questions. And as a result of those questions, the FBI is now involved. Um, and so that's kind of where we are. We, we're, we're at a place where they, the Mexican authorities have issued this uh, police warrant, um, arrest warrant for the quote-unquote the direct aggressor in the events however they don't name that person but I think that it's very clear that it is or I don't want to say very clear it is more likely than not that it is actually Dejanet um, the girl that we see in the video attacking Shanquilla and so um, things are moving things are moving there are some additional theories out there but because those theories have not been substantiated or they've been debunked there's no need for us to dive into that as a matter of fact I think that what what I gave you here is actually very exciting in the sense that we see movement we see movement boots on the ground and you know we will see in the coming days um what they're going to do and how they're going to do it to to get Shanquilla Um, the justice that she so deserves. So keep talking out there, keep making noise so that we can see justice for Shanquilla and her family. Now, because today is Thanksgiving, grab your turkey, mac and cheese, dressing, all the desserts, and yes, your wine and let's get into it now the title of this story is wolf in sheep's clothing and it is the story of tyrone hassel the third on december 31st 2018 in bent harbor michigan Sergeant Tyrone Hassel III left his family's New Year's Eve party around 10 p.m. He drove to his father's house where he, his wife, and his young son were staying to bring his wife a dinner plate from the party. His wife, Kamaya Hassel, didn't attend the party, but Tyrone wanted to make sure she was still good and that she had food to eat that night. You see, he adored his wife, so much and so that he was willing to forfeit going back to that party to stay home with his wife and and their son. But Kamaya insisted that he would be missed if he didn't return. 
So Tyrone kissed his wife goodbye and reluctantly left his father's house to return to the party. But Tyrone would never make it back to that New Year's Eve party. He wouldn't even make it to his beloved truck because moments after he walked out of the house, several shots rang out and Kamaya would find Tyrone clinging for life on the ground near the side of his truck. So who is Tyrone Hassel III? Sergeant Tyrone Hassel III was born on August 23, 1995 in Benton Harbor, Michigan. He graduated high school in 2013 with honors. He was a member of the marching band, ROTC, and the Kappa League. After he graduated, he went to Grand Valley State University in Allendale, Michigan, but he soon learned that college just simply wasn't for him. So he deliberately joined the military, the United States Army to be exact. He was excited about joining the military. He felt that the military was gonna give him everything that he needed. And he thrived because once he joined, he received multiple honors for serving, including being promoted to Sergeant at a very young age. His friends and family describe him as focused, determined. He rose up the ranks quickly. His career for him didn't seem like work. He loved what he did and he not only did, and not only did he love it, but he found the love of his life while serving in the army. He met a woman by the name of Kamaya Martin. And shortly after their um, dating, he proposed to her and they were married in 2017. Kamaya fit right into his family. They loved her, he loved her. It was a perfect match made in heaven. And shortly after they got married, she got pregnant and gave birth to a healthy baby boy. And once they were married, they bought a house in Georgia, which was right outside of Savannah, close to Kamaya's parents. But not long after they bought that house and got settled in, the army shipped both Kamaya and Tyrone to Korea, where they moved um, and spent the most and spent most of 2018. Toward the end of 2018, around the holidays, they decided to take a leave from the military and spend vacation in Michigan in order to visit um, Tyrone's family, his parents, and just you know they've been away and they were excited to be back and to visit family. But on New Year's Eve, tragedy struck. At 11 p.m., Kamaya Hassel called 911 and notified them that someone shot her husband in the head. In the middle of that call, though, it cuts off. And so 911 is scrambling to try to figure out where to send ambulance, where to send the authorities, but it all works out and they arrive when the authorities and the ambulance arrive at the scene, they describe that scene as chaotic. There's actual body cam footage um, that Fatal Attraction shows on their um, on their documentary of this, this case. And you see that Kamaya is grief stricken 
Um, she is just, she's screaming. She's, you know, they said that it was hard to peel Kamaya off of Tyrone so that they could even like try to issue, you know, aid to, to Tyrone. Um, the paramedics did find signs of life. And so they, you know, immediately, you know, gathered Tyrone up and put him in the ambulance. But Kamaya climbed into the ambulance and, tr and, and tried to, you know, get in there with him. She's screaming. So the authorities had to actually pull her out of the ambulance and try to console her um, as they rushed Tyrone off to the hospital to try to save his life. At the scene, Kamaya continues to just unravel. She is, you know, just completely besides herself, uh, beside herself. She dry heaved on the sidewalk. She's, you know, uncontrollably just crying and can't really put her thought form her thoughts together. But the police do their best to console um, Kamaya so that they can get as much information from her as possible because they are now at the scene of the crime and they've got to gather all this evidence to figure out what happened. And so what the police find at the scene um, is that the, that, that the person that shot Tyrone had to have come from around the backside of his truck and that the shooting occurred at close range. They found five gunshot casings and so they determined that this was not your typical, you know, just accidental New Year's Eve gunshots, possibly just fired like randomly. But this was like a passionate, intimate killing. And so immediately they're, you know, talking to Kamaya, they're talking to Kamaya's father. And that's when they learned that the reason that the call um, the 911 call was interrupted was because Kamaya hung the phone up and called Tyrone's father to let her his father know what happened. And so his father had some theories. He was like, you know, my son told me um, that if ever anything happened to him, that it was probably because someone was trying to rob him for his truck. He had been, people have been eyeing his truck. He had this, this really souped up truck that, you know, was very nice. And, um, and so, you know, his father was, you know, thinking, Hey, you know, maybe that's what it was. Maybe somebody was trying to, to rob him. And so the police quickly ruled this out though, because Tyrone had money in his pocket. He um, he had a phone and other valuable belongings that were in his truck, untouched, unbothered. And so they knew, you know, this could not have been the case. It, it, a robbery seemed highly unlikely if you're not going to rob the actual victim that you end up shooting. And so they kind of rule out the father's theory. Now, simultaneously, as they're trying to piece all of this together, um, the paramedics arrive at the hospital and they pronounce him dead on arrival. Um, so unfortunately, Sergeant Tyrone um, Hassel III did not survive this gunshot uh, killing. Um, and so the police continue to investigate. They're trying to piece it all together. They talk to Kamaya and she's like, 
has no idea. Everybody loved Tyrone. Nobody had anything, you know, negative against him. And she's like, I was, you know, he gave me my food. He walked back out to go to the party. And the next thing I know, I hear gunshots, you know, ringing out. And I find my husband dead on the ground. And so, you know, they're, they're just trying to figure this all out because how could this guy who everybody liked, you know, have such a um, gruesome killing um, in this way? So another theory that they came up with was that um, there was possibly some guys that came and shot Tyrone as a result of an altercation that occurred at the skating ring um, just two days prior to 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 Tyrone's killing. So Tyrone's in town and he, you know, links up with a couple of his friends and they go to this local skating rink where I guess, you know, they're all hanging out and and enjoying each other. And there was a group of guys that were looking at Tyrone really strange and just noticeably creating tension and a very tense situation. As a result, rumors began to speculate after Tyrone's death that this guy who was exchanging these very heated looks with Tyrone was um, the, you know, the one that actually killed him. And so the police are like, okay, well, let's bring this guy in. So they call the guy in. His name is Rico. And they call him in to question him, you know, figure out like, what happened? Or did you do anything to this guy? These are the rumors that are speculating. And Rico's like, listen, like, yes, I saw him at the skating rink and, you know, but that was it. Like that, that's the end of that, that story. It doesn't go any deeper than that. Um, Rico then, you know, lets them know, you know, where he was the night that Tyrone died, which he stated that he was at a party um, that was not in Benton Harbor. Um, and he arrived at that party at 10 p.m. And he did not leave until 3.30 a.m. So police go out to, to figure out, can we corroborate this story? You know, they can't believe somebody just because they give, you know, an alibi. They have to corroborate it, right? They go out and people say, yeah, you know, he was at the party and he never left. So witnesses confirm and corroborate his alibi and they're able to easily rule out Rico. And so at this point, a week has gone by and the investigation has stalled. They have no idea what happened to Tyrone or why anyone would want to kill him. The police are trying to figure out where, where, where do we go from here? They've, they've ruled out the, the couple of theories that that did exist. They've dispelled the rumors about Rico and that that group. And so now they're just kind of trying to figure out why this, you know, thriving young man who had everything going for himself, who was adored by those that knew him, would be, you know, viciously attacked and killed. And as they're trying to piece all of that together, they receive a phone call from an anonymous phone call from the military revealing that Kamaya was having an affair with another guy in her unit. And so I want to stop here really quick just to say that Kamaya was not on the police's radar 
at all. She was not a, a person of interest. Um, what when they saw her and 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 quite honestly, guys, if you go and watch Fatal Attraction, um, when they saw her in this, you know, uh, at the scene of the crime, she was completely grief stricken. She looked as if her life was literally falling apart before her eyes. She was not somebody that the police even would have thought could be a part of this, you know, you know, be a part of the reason that Tyrone was no longer with us. And so um, back to the story, this caller brings that um, changes or shifts that thought process for the police um, with one phone call because they reveal that Kamaya was having an affair with 24-year-old Jeremy Quayer. Now, Jeremy was um, also in the army with Kamaya and Tyrone, and he was a part of the same unit. As a matter of fact, the affair was known throughout the unit. Um, witnesses state that Jeremy and Kamaya's friendship quickly became sexual while they were in Korea. And Jeremy was head over heels, just like Tyrone for Kamaya. So immediately, Jeremy becomes a person of interest and the police now have another lead that they can chase to, just to determine, is this worth, is this, you know, a reason, is this motive as to why um, Tyrone, you know, was viciously killed. And just because you have an affair doesn't mean that, you know, you are the reason for someone's death, but they have to investigate it. So they get in contact with the army and the army begins to also investigate and the army and the army investigators and the police are working hand in hand to, you know, just try to figure out you know, what what was the nature of Jeremy and Kamaya's relationship? Are there any, um, is there any proof of this uh, affair? Can we corroborate it in any way? And so the army investigators revealed to the police that Jeremy was in um, Indiana, which was about an hour and a half away from Benton Harbor at the on the day that Tyrone was killed. And so they begin to like go and, you know, pull all of this, you know, um, all of, you know, all of the records to see, can they prove, can they put, place him in Michigan at the time, at or around the time of the killing? And so they were able to use a plate scanner to identify that Jeremy's car entered into Michigan at 8.24 p.m. And he left Michigan at around midnight. They also tracked his cell phone in the area, pinging off the towers near Tyrone's father's house. However, when they went to go to dive into whether or not Jeremy and Kamaya were communicating around this time, they did not find any communication between Kamaya and Jeremy for the week leading up to the killing. And so they're like, well, maybe Kamaya didn't have anything to do with, you know, 
Jeremy wanting to kill Tyrone. Maybe this is a, a um, something that Jeremy did unbeknownst to Kamaya. And so, you know, they are like, okay, let's pull Jeremy in. Let's see what we can do to try to get more information. But before they, you know, bring Jeremy in for questioning, they kind of question other soldiers to figure out what they knew. And it re it's revealed that Jeremy confessed to a soldier after he returned to the base that he did, in fact, kill Tyrone. Now, he told him that he walked up to, to um, Tyrone. He shot him a couple of times. Tyrone fell down. And then he shot him again in the head to ensure that he was dead. Now, this lined up and was consistent with the evidence that the police had at the scene of the crime. The soldiers told the police that Jeremy stated that he did this, his motive for doing this was out of love for Kamaya and that Kamaya did in fact help plan the murder. She, he told this, this soldier that she not only helped plan it, but that she, you know, gave details of when Tyrone would be home, when, where he was and how to get where he needed to be, where to, where to sit, where to, you know, lined everything up. Now, he also revealed that they communicated through Snapchat and not the actual text messages. And that is why the police were unable to see in cell phone records any communication between Jeremy and Kamaya. Because for those of you that know, Snapchat's messages disappear after a certain amount of time. And so once it's gone, it's gone. Again, police did not believe. they could. I mean, they were just baffled, even after hearing from this soldier that Kamaya had anything to do with this. And so they, before they brought in Jeremy, they felt it was necessary that they talked to Kamaya to figure out, is there any truth behind what is being said? And to see if they, if they can poke any holes in this story. Hey, you, yes, you. The one who loves a nice glass of wine at the end of the day, but doesn't want to risk all those calories. Are you looking for a wine that is lab tested and guaranteed to be delicious? A wine that has no pesticides, no added sugar, yes, no added sugar, and zero artificial ingredients? Well, look no further. Scout and Cellar Clean Crafted Wine checks every box. And right now, there is a Black Friday sale off most of the wines on my website. This is MD. And yes, I sell wine on the side, that is. So run, don't walk, and stock up. Go to www.scoutandseller.com forward slash Maia Dawn. Again, that is www.scout S C O U T and seller C E L L A R dot com forward slash M A I A D A W N. 
scoutandseller.com forward slash Maya Dawn. Thanks, guys. Now, right before they bring Kamaya in, they also learned that there was a possible murder uh, motive for killing Tyrone, that Kamaya had another possible motive, and that was Tyrone's death benefits. He had a half a million dollars, and she was the beneficiary. So they are like, we've got to get this girl in here. We've got to talk to her. She's had an affair. She That's a motive. And she also um, is the beneficiary of this half million dollar policy. So they call Tyrone's father and because that's where Kamaya was staying. And they asked that they asked Tyrone's uh, father to bring um, that he and and Kamaya come to the police station to be questioned. And so he doesn't, they don't tell uh, Tyrone's father, hey, we are suspecting Kamaya. They just say, you guys come down here. We want to talk to you guys a little bit more about the investigation. And um, they get to the station. And the moment they do, they immediately separate the father and Kamaya. And then they tell the father, hey, you can go home. And it was at that moment that Tyrone's father realized, oh, the, maybe there's something up with Kamaya. Because again, guys, like no one suspected Kamaya. The family didn't suspect Kamaya. The police didn't suspect Kamaya. And so that's at that moment, Tyrone's father, he has um, stated that that's when he figured there must be something deeper about um, Kamaya and this murder. And so, you know, he leaves and they bring Kamaya in and they begin to question her. And they ask her very poignantly about her relationship with Jeremy Quayer. And she lies about the affair. She states that they were just friends who simply, you know, confided in one another. And he was somebody that she really leaned on in difficult times um, in their marriage. And so the police realize like, okay, this girl is hiding things because, you know, they they know that the affair happened. The army investigators have confirmed that. And so the fact that she's coming in and she's not, you know, being truthful, they know that there's something deeper that Kamaya is involved in some way. So they pick up Jeremy Quayer and they begin to question Jeremy. But Jeremy immediately lawyers up. He's like, listen, I'm not talking to y'all. Bring me my attorney. And so they go back to Kamaya and they they realize we've got to get her to talk if we're going to get anything. So they lay it all on, lay it out all out on the table. They're like, we got these Snapchat records. Um, We know about the affair and so you need to start talking. And so she does. She she begins to sing like a canary. Um, still, of course, spinning it in the way that she wants the police to see it. But she does admit that, yes, she had an affair with Jeremy. And yes, Jeremy killed Tyrone. And she explains that it was all Jeremy's idea. It was all, you know his plan and she was just kind of, you know, going along with it, that she even 
um, tried to, you know, stop it or try to abandon the plan, um, but felt like she couldn't um, for whatever reason. That was not thoroughly explained, but she felt like she couldn't abandon the plan. And so um, she talked about how Jeremy staked outside of Tyrone's father's house waiting for Tyrone and that he, he almost ended up leaving because, um, you know, they were waiting there so long. He was waiting there so long for Tyrone to come home. Um, but then Tyrone called and said, hey, I'm going to bring you some food. He called, you know, Kamaya and said, I'm going to bring you some food from the party. And so she then texted Jeremy, uh, Snapchat at Jeremy and said, hey, don't leave. He's actually on his way. And so um, she admitted that, you know, she, you know, the money was part of the reason that she went through with this. Um, but she felt like Jeremy wouldn't let her off the hook, even when she felt like this probably wasn't the best idea. So they arrest Kamaya and they arrest Jeremy and they go to trial. So in July 2019, the trial occurred. And even at the trial, um, Kamaya is still blaming Jeremy. She's still stating that this was his plan. Yes, she was involved, but this was not, she was, you know, Jeremy orchestrated all of it. She was just kind of going along to get along, um, but that she was not the mastermind behind it all. However, prosecution is like, Absolutely not. Like you were equally culpable for, you know, Tyrone's murder and you were involved in a in depth way more than you're letting on. And they present evidence of a phone call that she had while in jail with her mother. And so she is in jail. She's talking to her mom on the phone and her mom asks her, like, did you do this? Like, did you guys really do this? Like, she just, I think her mom just, you know, and I'm sure like any mother is like, I, I just can't even believe it. Please tell me this is not true. And Kamaya admits that, yeah, you know, I did. We did it. I did it. I, we were involved. I was involved. And then the mother asked, like, why, why didn't you divorce him? And I think that it's, it's so great because that's a question that I think I always have when I am watching any kind of like situation where, or true crime um, story where the wife or the, the, the spouse, not just the wife, the spouse kills the other spouse because of problems or because of whatever. And I'm always like, what? divorce is an option, people. It, it is an option. Um, but, you know, the mother asks, like, why didn't you just divorce him? And she states, and I quote, I don't know. I was just really in a bad place, end quote. This conversation was played at trial and prosecution plays this up to say, like, no, this girl knew exactly what she was doing. She was involved. She was involved in the planning. She's equally culpable. Don't let her get off. She knew what she was doing. And not only did she know she, what she was doing, but she intentionally did it. And she did it for the money. She did it because she no longer wanted to be married and she wanted to be with Jeremy. And this is how she felt she was going to get what, you know, get everything that she hoped to get. Um, the 
prosecution rested their case and the jury returns a verdict of guilty. Uh, they sentence her to first degree murder um, and, and conspiracy, uh, guilty of first degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. And they sentenced her to life without the possibility of parole. Now, Jeremy, after seeing um, Kamaya's trial, he had the benefit of kind of, you know, sitting back and seeing how a jury was going to digest all of these facts and what facts the prosecution actually had. And so he decides to take a um, plea agreement where he pleads guilty and he receives 65 years minimum. So um, basically what that means is that he's not even going to be eligible for parole until after 65 years. Um, so post-trial, Jeremy actually reaches out to Tyrone's father and they have a video co uh, conference call where Jeremy apologizes and owns up and admits to, you know, his role in the murder. And, you know, he says, I know this is not going to bring your son back. And I know that, you know, this is not even enough to, of an explanation, um, but I want to own it and I want to apologize. And um, I don't even think that he asked for forgiveness. I just think that he really just wanted to admit and own up to what happened. Um, and he stated that his reasoning was because he was blinded by love. He was blind by the love that he had for Kamaya. And he thought that, you know, that was reason enough to end Tyrone's life. Um. I, I'll talk about what I think about that at the end. Now, post-trial, Kamaya, you know, there's no record of her ever reaching out to the family to apologize. Not saying it didn't happen, but there's no record of that um, on the internet. Um, and But she does file an appeal claiming ineffective assistance of, of counsel. And so the way you win this type of an appeal is... Well, first of all, the reason you file for this is so that you can get a new trial. So like you claim ineffective assistance of counsel, my, my attorney was did not do a good job. And as a result, I should have a new trial. And the way that you win this type of an appeal is not just by showing that your attorney made errors during the trial, right? Because anybody can make a mistake, anybody can make an error, but it has to be that the error was so egregious that it affected the ultimate outcome of the trial. So if what the attorney did or didn't do ultimately affected the outcome of the trial, had it been had they not done that said thing, then you could possibly get a new trial. She claimed that her attorney was ineffective um, due to the fact that he failed to consult an expert about battered partner syndrome. So she's claiming that not only did she kill or participate in the killing of Tyrone, but that she did so because Tyrone was abusive and that he battered her. I'm just gonna let that sit there because that's crazy. I'm not saying that Tyrone didn't batter her and I don't wanna minimize that, but I just think that that's amazing that that is all of a sudden coming out that never once in her transcripts of, you know, when they, you know, interviewed her or even at trial, did this ever come up? But that's what she's saying, right? She's saying that it didn't come up because 
you know, the attorney didn't bring it up, even though she told her attorney to bring it up and he didn't consult an expert about this. Um, and then she also says that her attorney failed her because he didn't challenge the admissibility of her statements that she made to the police. So because when you are arrested, we all know this, you have to be Mirandized. And if you're not Mirandized, then those statements are not admissible in the court of law. Um, and they cannot use those statements against you. And so she's saying, hey, he should have challenged this admissibility and he didn't. And as a result, um, I should get a new, new trial. The Michigan courts denied this. They denied her request for a new trial. And so Kamaya is still in jail where I believe she rightfully deserves to be and where she will spend no less than the remainder of her life. Her son is living, or their son, is living with her parents in Georgia. So now we've entered our wonderful section of the takeaways. So what are the takeaways of this case? Divorce is costly, but murder is expensive. Um, you know, ultimately, Kamaya did not plan to kill Tyrone because she didn't want to be with him anymore. She planned to kill Tyrone because she wanted that money. She wanted that half million dollar money. And she wanted to be with Jeremy without any kind of issue. She wanted her cake and she wanted to eat it too. So divorce wasn't an option. Divorce was not an option for her because Kamaya felt like she deserved to have all of it. She deserved to have, um, you know, Tyrone's money. She deserved to have the man that she really wanted to be with. And she didn't want to be painted out as the narcissistic, um, evil, conniving, manipulative person that she is. Like, that's really what it is. She did not want to be viewed that way, you know, because everybody looked at their relationship and could not see any issues. Like, Tyrone adored this girl. And and if we really, you know, scale back, they, they were still pretty much in their honeymoon phase, right? Like, they got married in 2017 and he died on the eve of 2019. So they were married for a year. And a lot had happened in that year, right? Like they had a kid, um, they were in Korea, um, but but all witnesses point to such a loving relationship between the two. And, and I'm not saying that it wasn't because maybe, you know, we don't, nobody knows what goes on in your marriage, but the two of the people in the marriage. Um, but by all accounts, it appeared like they were in a loving relationship. And if she had filed for divorce, then she's showing that, hey, it wasn't loving. Or it'd be like, why are you filing for divorce all of a sudden to Tyrone? Divorce was not the option here. Divorce was not on the table because that's not what she wanted. She didn't want to just not be with Tyrone. She wanted to not be with Tyrone, have all of Tyrone's money, and get the guy that she wanted to be with without anyone looking at her in a negative light. The other takeaway that I have is affairs have consequences. So for Jeremy, 
you know, this looks like a tragic, you know, set of events with a woman that he just idolized and absolutely fell head over heels for. But just like Kamaya should not have been stepping out on her husband, Jeremy should not have been with a woman that was married. And when that happens, when you when you step out on your spouse and you have these affairs, I mean, they, they don't always, more likely than not, end in death. But it can. And you find yourself wrapped up in the passion of it all, in the the um, excitement of it all. And, and now you're not using your brain fully. I also want to point out that neither one of these people, um, neither one of Jeremy or Kamaya were, were um, older. And I, I'm, I'm saying this because Jeremy was 24. I believe that Kamaya was in her early 20s as well. And your brain is not fully developed until you're 25. The side of their brain that helps them to process consequences and risk was not truly there. And so here they are wrapped up in all of the heated passion of this affair and they're young and not operating in a fully functioned, you know, capacity. And they find themselves in a situation where they're like, yeah, it makes sense to end this man's life so that we can have what we want to have. And so, you know, the best thing to do is just stay out of affairs. <laughs> and I say that proudly as a married woman. But seriously, like affairs have consequences. And for Jeremy and Kamaya, the consequence is they will spend the rest of their their natural lives locked away in a jail cell. And unfortunately, the consequences for the son is that he has neither one of his parents. And the consequences for Kamaya's family is they don't have Kamaya. The consequence for Jeremy's family is they don't have Jeremy. And the ultimate consequence for Tyrone's family is that they no longer, they can't talk to, see, visit, have connection with their son, their cousin, their brother, their friend. And so this affair cost so much. And for what? Kamaya and Jeremy probably are not even in communication with one another. They threw each other under the bus. I mean, it just ultimately is for nothing. Finally, the my final takeaway, you know, lines up with the title of this episode, which is Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. And that is that everyone is not who they seem to be. The prevailing... Um, thought throughout this this story was that the police couldn't believe that it was Kamaya. The family couldn't believe that it was Kamaya. Jeremy was like um, completely manipulated by the woman that Kamaya presented her to be. And Tyrone fell for a woman who he thought he knew. Everyone is not who they seem to be. And sometimes it takes time for people to show you their true colors. Um, and that's why you got to be quick to not like, you know, just fall so hard. I, you know, there's shows called Love is Blind and you fall quickly for people. And, and I think that you can fall quickly for people, but it takes time to get to know a person. And it takes time for a person to show you who they are. Because believe me, they will show you who they are if you look and you observe 
and you watch what they are saying without their words. Kamaya was not who she put on to be. She was definitely a wolf in sheep's clothing. She played the role exceptionally well. So well, she almost got away with it. But thank God for people who came forward, witnesses who screamed, you know, from the rooftops that, hey, dog, something right here. She was having an affair. He confessed to the crime. Because otherwise, who's to say that Kamaya and Jeremy would have ever been caught? So be careful. Watch who you make your friends. Learn who people show you they are. Not tell you, but learn who people show you they are. Because ultimately, if you don't, well, we see what happened here. Until next time, guys, this is Murder in the Black. Y'all have a wonderful and happy Thanksgiving. Bye.